give a Bible tonight, we're just going to study for a few moments. I ask you to turn to Luke chapter 2, which is just about as familiar a passage as we could have. And it's so familiar that even those who reject Jesus Christ and those who reject the Christmas story know it. Practically anybody that's out there shopping today at Walmart or anybody that's driving around has heard, and in the same country there were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. They were sore afraid. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Suddenly there were the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace, goodwill to men. Now that's familiar. and We know it and we read it earlier. I quoted it again. We're going to read it again in a moment. It's easy to kind of glide over it and to, and to go quickly. I purposely went quickly, actually left out a little part of it. Because it shows how simple it is for us to say and yet how easy it is for us to forget to be impacted by what it's saying. Because there's so much depth in there. There's so much spiritual reality in there. It is as historically profound and as spiritually important as anything that we could ever think about. It is so far beyond our comprehension that God would do this, that we can't afford to let ourselves ever get emotionally jaded about it. And yet that's so easy to happen. What we're going to read in a moment, and we're going to read it again, is so eternally significant that it affects every single life of every single person who will ever live. Every heart and every soul is responsible for this information in Luke chapter 2 about the incarnation of Jesus Christ when God comes to earth. And the method by which he comes is very unexpected. And yet it's so wonderful and so uh, dramatic in terms of how God offers to change lives. Now, this story, what we're going to read, this account, is how God proves his love. He intervenes in human history. He comes down and he takes the form of flesh to offer salvation to every single person. Because we're all lost, and we all need it, and we all have to have salvation to be able to be accepted by Him. And yet we can't redeem ourselves in any way. This is how God proves His love. And this is how God proves His mercy. He takes it upon Himself to offer us salvation. Even though we don't deserve it, we didn't want it, we weren't looking for it, we're not worthy of His love or His offer. And He does it in such a way that we can't possibly miss His message. Now, we're going to go back and read. If you guys could bump me up a little bit of lights, that would be fabulous, just so everybody can see their Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, just lean to the person next to you and, and uh, get to know them a little bit better. But let's read the text again, thank you, and let's read it with greater intent this time. Because I quoted it quickly. But I want us to really understand exactly what's being said here. Even if you've heard it hundreds of times, even if you can quote it like I can, Let's read the specifics of what God's Holy Spirit is including 
and see the meaning of what he's communicating to us. Start in chapter 2 of Luke, verse 8. In the same region around Bethlehem, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. The angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, not just around the angel, but around them, and they were terribly frightened. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news. It's good news of great joy, and it will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, there's been born for you a Savior, and it's Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger, an unexpected place for a newborn. Suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom God is pleased. Now for six or seven thousand years, mankind has been on a spiritual quest to discover the meaning of life. What does it mean? Why are we here? How did we get here? What is our purpose? Is there a God in heaven? What is he like? Is he personal and involved? Or is he impersonal and detached? Are we accountable to him? Is there life after death? Is there a reward or a punishment based on what we believe and how we live? And out of all the ways that have been given, which way is right? Now, for seven millenniums, people have been searching out those answers. And they've looked in every possible way that we can imagine. Science has sought to explain the origins of the universe, but it starts from a flawed presupposition that there's no God. And even this week, we've heard that they're trying to find this God particle, this thing that will explain uh, the, the fact that the universe started with two atoms smashing together and formed into all this complexity. But, but even though they think they're close, even if they were to find it and say, we've discovered the origin of life, it's all theory, it's all speculation. There's nothing that can prove it. And then philosophy and, and critical thinking ha has tried to be the avenue for man to reason his way into understanding. And man's drawn conclusions, but there's been differences of opinion and, and everybody has a lack of clarity and people posture and, and pose and say, well, I've thought about this from a new angle, and then somebody disputes that. It's, it's just confusing. And then people said, well, if I can't figure it out from science and I can't figure it out from philosophy, maybe I'll just live for myself and I'll make as much money as I can and I'll acquire as much power as I can and I'll conquer worlds and conquer peoples and rule the earth and that will bring me purpose. And yet Alexander the Great, who conquered the known world at the time, died from boredom. Hitler, who conquered all of Western Europe and started to move into Eastern Europe, put a gun in his mouth and shot himself in Austria because he knew that his kingdom was coming to an end and that the troops were closing in and there was no hope and he couldn't accomplish his master plan. On and on it goes throughout history. Now people come to the place where they just question everything. And we alternate between introspection and, and just complaining dissatisfaction. 
And then there's always the fallback. Well, if I just do the right things, maybe that's enough. See, the end result of all the searching is doubt and disillusionment and confusion and dissatisfaction. Because all of man's efforts will always fall short. But we live with this chronic angst of just not being sure that all our wisdom and all our works can give us any kind of certainty about eternity. And I I want you to really think about that tonight. Because with all the busyness and all the information and all the technology and the materialism and the unsettledness of the world and just the barrage of noise that's around us, it's much easier to ignore the fact that we as humans don't have answers than it is to deal with the fact that we don't have answers. And as we get farther down the line, we're going to get better at repressing all those feelings. And we're going to start to ignore God. That was the whole thing. If you know about Steve Jobs, it was always discovery. And everybody's praising him and reading his biography. What a brilliant man. Well, he didn't discover the purpose of life. He just discovered how to make a lot of money with computers. But he never came out and said, this is the grand goal of life. This is what gives us meaning. This is why we exist on the earth. He's like everybody else, just hoping for the best, that maybe what we do won't matter, and that if God really does exist, he'll just give us a free pass in the long run. Now, with all of that being said, if there is a God out there, what's the best thing he could tell us? If God really exists tonight, what's the best thing he could say to us? Since we can't uncover all the answers after seven millenniums, and since our efforts are futile and and insufficient to bring us any certainty and comfort, what would God say to us that would give us joy and peace? Wouldn't it be that this message right here in Luke 2 would be the best possible news that we could hear? That there is a loving, faithful, merciful God who is concerned about us because he's personal and he's loving, and he provides us with a certain hope that will give us peace and joy and salvation. The offer is not based on anything that we do. It's not based on any merit that we have. It's not based on any effort. If we ever want to know that's true, we just have to read this text. But in one moment, God provides the eternal spiritual solution to our lives in a way that seems absolutely inexplicable to our logic, but it shows the depth of his character and his love. I really want you tonight, I know I've asked this throughout the month, I really want you to put yourself in that stable in Bethlehem tonight. I want you even to close your eyes and just just picture just the best perception of what it was like, what the shepherds discovered. They come up and there's the the less than ideal conditions and there's the young couple and there's the newborn and he's wrapped in cloths and the angel had talked about him. The angel had said, that's the Savior. That's the one. The one laying in the cloths in the manger. That's the Savior. This baby right here, he's the source of good news. He's the source of great joy. He After all the searching, mankind, he is the answer to man's hopeless condition. This, right here, this baby, 
is God's provision to deliver you from sin. But you have to say, how could it be that God would do it like this? I mean, this was beyond unconventional, right? This, this doesn't make any sense. Not only that God would come as a man, okay, maybe we could get that, but that he'd come as a baby. Wouldn't it make more sense for the God of the universe who formed, the, formed all that is, who is eternal backwards and forwards, who put the stars in the sky and put us here and made us in his own image, wouldn't it make more sense for God to make an ostentatious show of himself and his power and his authority and in the process incite a little guilt and shame in us that we had ignored us so we'd almost be forced to put our trust in him? All logic says that the Savior should come with great power and, and great uh, unshakable authority and intimidate his enemies and threaten those who would oppose him. This was a baby. Who's afraid of a baby? They're not strong. They're not threatening, except when it's time to change a diaper, of course, but... Babies are helpless. And yet what's fascinating, when you look at the text in this account, is that the shepherds don't come and find him and say, that's just a baby. That can't possibly be the savior of the world. And you know what? We're busy people. We don't have time to wait around and see if this child's going to grow up to be something great. The world has too many problems now. As we'll study in the morning, and we have a service tomorrow morning, I hope you'll join us. It says in the text, look, that they hurried to see him, and they left rejoicing and telling everybody. Because who they saw and what they knew when they saw him gave them complete confidence that he is the hope of salvation. So they worship him. We've been looking at lines of Christmas carols all throughout the months to kind of give us a greater depth of understanding of this text. And there's a song we're going to sing in a few moments, Silent Night. It was first sung in 19, uh, excuse me, in 1818. It's written by an Austrian pastor named, uh, I'm sorry, I need the text, Joseph Moore. Joseph Moore wrote a poem called Silent Night. I can't pronounce it in German. I won't even try. And he went to a friend of his, Franz Gruber, who was a a music pastor two years later, and he said, I've got this poem. He gave it to him Christmas Eve morning. Gruber wrote the, the melody. That afternoon, they played it that night. Interestingly, and I'll just give you a little background here, it was written as an arrangement for a guitar, but it wasn't written as a lullaby. You know how we kind of sing silent night, really dreary. Actually, it was written in a 6-8 meter, so it was like almost like a dance tune. Can you imagine singing silent night as a dance tune? I won't try. I don't want to embarrass myself. But there's a line in Silent Night that has impressed me so much this year. It says, Silent night, holy night, shepherds quake at the sight. You ever thought about that? You ever thought about what that looked like? Quaking means that they had reverential awe. They were, they were humbled and they were literally brought to their knees as they came 
into his presence. You remember in our study a few weeks ago, we talked about the shepherds getting the word and running around Bethlehem and trying to find the right stable. And we remember how Mary and Joseph were sitting there. We kind of imagine this, but I think this is, this is very authentic to the text. They're kind of sitting there and she's holding the baby and the birth has just happened. And here come the shepherds and they can kind of hear them in the street coming up and they kind of look at each other, a little bit of anxiety. And we can imagine the shepherds kind of come, hey, there he is, hey, we found it. And then, as they approach him, listen now, the reality of who this is hits them. And they start to to shake in their hands with joy and anticipation. And their mouths get a little bit dry. So, So the yelling that they were doing just a minute before, all of a sudden they can't find the words because here is the Son of God. This is the baby that the angels spoke about. This wasn't just a casual glance in the manger. Oh, yeah, good. Good for you guys. And kind of awkward conversation until they could break away and get back to their sheep. This, this wasn't just the fulfillment of their curiosity. They didn't walk away unaffected by the fact that they had just seen some ordinary newborn. This was nothing ordinary about this. They saw the baby and they were overwhelmed. This is Jesus, the Son of God. What's his name? His name is Jesus. He will save people from their sins. And it wasn't just the shepherds. Imagine Herod when he got the news. And the wise men came. Herod was a Roman ruler over Israel. The wise men come days later and they say, well, there's a There's a Messiah that's been born. We've seen his star. There's a Savior. Where's the King of the Jews? And Herod, I believe, and I'm projecting here, but go with me on it. I believe after the wise men walk away, Herod walks back into his quarters and he's shaking and he's trembling because he knew what the prophets had said. He understood the implication of this, that this was the one who would rule. His life would be changed. Listen, he took the news seriously. Why do you think he said, we're just going to kill all male babies under two? If he didn't feel the threat, if he didn't shake and quake about the news, then he would have just said, what's the big deal? The wise men are crazy. And then the wise men themselves travel hundreds of miles to come see this child. And they bring gifts that honor his deity and they foreshadow the rest of his life and his death and resurrection, and even as foreigners, they understand who he is and why he's there. So as they come to the house underneath the star, they walk in reverently, and they walk in with great, great sense of humility, probably hand-shaking just a little bit, even though these men were highly talented and highly respected. But you've got to think as they approach that baby and as they kneel down before him that, that they weren't steady. When was the last time you literally shook about something you saw or heard? When, when, you, when you were so taken by something, maybe it was something really scary and intimidating, like you got really bad news from the doctor, or, or there was a personal tragedy, or you finally added up the visa bill after all the shopping, and you just your hands started to shake, and how could I have spent that much? Or maybe it was wonderful and joyful. I, got, I saw a video on 
funniest home videos of the night, and girl was blindfolded, and all the people yelled, surprised, and she just dropped back completely out cold. She, she just, boom. Maybe a relative surprised you this Christmas. Maybe, maybe you're, you heard you're going to go on a beautiful vacation, or maybe you got an amazing gift. Whatever it is, those things are wonderful and they're significant, but they're temporary. The news here, look at the text in Luke 2. This is eternal. What do you do with this information? How does this impact your heart and mind? Let me ask you tonight, are you spiritually disaffected? Are you dulled by sin and distracted by the things that the world says are a priority? You love Christmas and you're here tonight. Maybe you got stirred a little bit and, and you're, you're kind of feeling good, but for all intents and purposes, on Monday it's back to the routine and you may not have to go to work, but you know it's time to get the tree down and pack everything up and it's just back to normal. There's a truth right here. Look at it. There's a truth right here that can literally shake your world. It can change the course of your life forever. It'll alter your priorities. It'll change the way you think and feel and live and it'll give you spiritual confidence that can't be shaken and your heart will be full of joy and your mind will be full of wisdom and you'll experience the blessing of God and you'll learn what it is to be content in all things and you'll learn what it is to be full of peace. Now you and I could have stayed on the dissatisfying path that we were on or we can put our faith in that baby and we can be saved and freed from sin forever. There are so many reasons to be in awe of the fact that unto us is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let me just give you four and we're going to light our candles. First of all, one of the primary reasons we're supposed to be in awe is that without a Savior, we have no hope. Without Jesus Christ, there are no answers spiritually. And mankind has proven that throughout the centuries. Man has proven that he doesn't have the morality to, to solve the answer ourselves. The Bible says there's not one person who is righteous and that we are accountable to the Lord who is holy and pure. Our soul tonight is not just destined for the time here on earth whether it's 40 years, 80 years, 120 years, our soul is eternal. And because our soul is eternal, that creates a problem when we're held against God's perfect standard. So as we look at the manger, and I know we're not seeing it tonight, but think figuratively now. As we look at the manger, everything lies in the balance. Either Jesus Christ is our hope, or we have no hope. There's no middle ground. Either He is our Savior and our Redeemer, or there is no salvation and no redemption. And here's why the birth of Christ is good news to all people. Because no one and nothing can offer the assurance of salvation that putting our trust in Jesus Christ does. We should be in awe of that. Second, we should be in awe of the fact that God loves us so much that he is willing to offer us that salvation even though we don't deserve it. 
Listen, if the Lord was willing to save us because we're already moral and already good and already worthy, then he's not a generous God. He's just the logical one. If we've already earned it, we're already good enough, we can stand before God and say, look at my life. And he goes, you're right, you're great. Then there's really no need for him. But the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ offered himself as a substitutionary sacrifice to us. That's the extent of God's love and mercy. Please know tonight that Jesus in the manger proves that God is willing to save you. doesn't matter how far you've strayed, how much you've rebelled, how much you've rejected Him, how messed up your life is. God is gracious and He is compassionate and He loves you more than you can imagine. How do I know that? I know that because He chose a strange, unorthodox method to bring a Savior to the world. The shepherds find... I. I just be hit by this again, one more time, just, just amuse me. The shepherds find a baby lying in a feeding trough for animals. A helpless infant who seems to have no power and no authority over anything, and yet he's the savior of the world. Nothing about it meets our expectation of what we would think, but it reminds us that humility is the prerequisite for faith. This method of God sending Christ wasn't just some trick or some power play. God wasn't being cute. He says, this is the example of what it takes for you to be saved. We can't come to him and say, look at me, I'm awesome. I am the man. God, you should be so thrilled that I exist on this earth and make everybody else look puny. God is not impressed by us. The only time he will receive us as his own is when we say, I am a miserable failure. Words can't express how much I have disappointed you. And yet, you sent a Savior. And you sent a baby that came to be God with us to redeem me from my sin and break the bondage and call me one of your own. And God, I need that. I need a Savior. Fourth and last, we should be awed at the extent of his salvation. We'll talk about this more in the, moment, in the morning, but what is so amazing and overwhelming about the mercy of God, listen now, one more thing, is that it is complete and it is permanent. When God says, this is the one, this is the Savior, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased, this is Emmanuel, God with you, the Savior of mankind, when God offers that salvation, it is complete and it is permanent. 
When he saves you, he saves you thoroughly. His grace is sufficient to cover all your failures and all my failures, and he forgets our sins against him. When he makes us his, we are his forever. Romans 8 says, nothing can separate us from his love. And once we find him, there is no reason to look any further. The shepherds didn't come and say, cool, a baby, nice. Let's go find something else. Let's go look around. Got to be some other options than this. That's just a baby. I'm not saving anybody. We're going to have to wait, what, 15, 20 years before he gets old enough to be able to tell us what's going on? It says they saw him and they ran out and they told everybody. Listen, I don't know how the shepherds felt that night in Bethlehem, but they understood the fundamental fact of why Jesus came. Even as a baby, he was born to be the Savior. He was born to be the one who could reconcile us to God. And I pray tonight before you leave that every single one of you knows Jesus Christ as your Savior. Because He loves you and He wants to set you free from sin and He wants to secure you forever with eternal life. It is a wonderful fact. And it is a fact. And we praise Him for His love and mercy. Come and see. The baby not just a baby. This is the Savior. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you tonight for your mercy, your amazing love, the gift that you gave. Lord, it's inexplicable to us why you would do this. We don't understand, and yet we believe. We believe that you love us. We believe that you care about us. We believe you want to deliver us from sin. And we believe that you provided that deliverer in Jesus Christ. Lord, there are no other options. There is nothing else that can satisfy your holiness other than the sacrifice of Christ. So we praise you tonight. He is the light of the world who came into darkness the darkness rejected him and man in our sin father we turned you away and yet Christ came to be the light to our hearts we thank you and praise you for your salvation Lord if there's someone here tonight that has never received you as Savior we pray right in this moment they would turn their life over to you that the truth of the gospel would shine in their lights as it has shown in ours and Lord we're humbled by the fact that you call us your own children. What a gift, Father, you give. And we pray you'd give that gift to somebody tonight that doesn't know you. We thank you and praise you for your goodness, your grace, your love, your mercy, and your salvation through Jesus Christ. We love you and praise you tonight. In our Savior Jesus' name, amen.